Brothers to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. After an epic weekend of quarterfinals rugby, we'll start um, closest to home with Leinster. There's so many talking points to come out of it. Uh, I think first we'll just get out of the way that we're all extremely disappointed for Dan Levy and we hope he gets well soon. and has a long comeback ahead of him, but I'm sure he can do it. What were your main takeaways from this game? My main takeaway um, was that... I felt very sorry for Dan Levy. Yeah, I thought I was just depressed about it. Uh, I left. I was, in, I was in the stand, and when we were... You have to go out a certain exit. So we're crossing over the bridge to go towards Sandiment, and an ambulance came from in behind us with the lights on and it cleared out whatever the crowds were on the roads and it went off and I sort of figured, geez, that like that must be Levy's. Like no one is going to drive an ambulance past a rugby stadium at the time when the match is finishing over road and speed bumps to get to St. Vincent's Hospital when when Marion Road is 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 just the other side. So like there's only one person in the back of that ambulance. Uh and I just went, geez, like that was that's quite a long time after the injury. Uh, so whatever they were doing and he was so still on the ground uh, and I, uh, I feel really sorry I hope he I hope he's able to come back and play um, as well as he had Levy was one of the five ups in the uh, series that we did over three years yeah for on the on the blog um, he was the captain of the, his Irish under 20s that year and they couldn't play in the World Cup because he's injured so Jack O'Donoghue uh, was captain of that World Cup team and you know covering him he suffered a lot of niggling injuries which ruled him out of playing over subsequent seasons now and again and he'd come back and he'd play a bit for UCD and then he'd be injured again and um, he's one of these guys who was always bubbling under and I remember actually tipping him for the Lions test team in 2017 and somebody called me out on Twitter I think this was yeah it was the season before the Grand Slam and mm. I have to admit, pettily, I did go scrolling back through the text. Cause so I want, did I. Because I so wanted to reply I. and go... How do you like me, Ness? Well, <laughs> yeah. Just, just saying. Um, so, no, I'm tremendously disappointed for Levy. And that puts... Uh, as you, It just puts things like Jacob Stocktail dropping a ball. Ah, people are mentioning them in the same breath. Like, what I the think fuck? There's nothing. There's nothing. You dropped the ball with... Nothing a, similar. You know, half an hour left in the game. That's just a fucking non-event. Let's move to the positives then. Leinster came out of the other side of an absolutely a super high intensity a, a affair. blistering Ulster assault. Well, I think Ulster came into this game and I think their fans came into this game at a much higher pitch than Leinster because a quarterfinal when you're double champions against a team that you regularly beat at home can't be the biggest game of the season for you if you're Leinster. But for Ulster, it was the biggest game of the season for them and it's probably the biggest game they've had in a couple of seasons. Uh, barring maybe the one they had to win to get into the tournament. Yeah, last I, think, year. I, think, I think the Ospreys match was the biggest game they've had. But we, we talked about Ulster at the beginning of the season and we talked about how they should you know, forfeit. Well, I said that they should forfeit the Heineken Cup. And I've been proved right. They didn't win. <laughs> and I said that I didn't buy the the idea that loads of guys were going to hand their season tickets back because, you know, Paddy Jackson had his contract rescinded. Um, and that, you know, there's a tremendous up in, up in Ulster. There's a there's a tremendous willingness to support Ulster, and it was it was it was striking at the match that uh, because of the, you know, because of who supports Ulster rugby, they're also the guys who support Northern Ireland football. And there was loads of that song whose melody I can't place, but it's a great football chant at the moment. It's one that's kind of come from Europe and has spread throughout. Like you hear it in Liverpool a lot, um, and there was loads of that. On, at the Aviva throughout the match. It's called A Nation Once Again. 
the man man behind the wire. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, it's been done. Um, and I, and, you know, like, Carberry was offered to go to Ulster. And at the time, Ulster were in, Ulster were a basket case. I think that's all become accepted reality. Um, so he chose to pass up on it, and McFarland, when he came in, played a very, you know, I can only call, I call it a high-risk, sort of ambitious game, but I think he was really trying to bed down a culture, and I have to say, I was, I've been very impressed with what McFarland has done And the rest, of his, the rest of his coaching staff. And the rest of well. his coaching staff. And, you know, he's, he's put those guys around him. You can sort of, you know, Dwayne Peel, Jared Penn, I think, you know, Jared Payne arguably there beforehand, um, but they're coherent. They're coherent under McFarland now. Like you know, playing rugby at a at a fast pace and developing from a relatively low base isn't the same as winning something. Mm-hmm. So that's the next step for for Ulster. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to win things. Like you know, for people who criticise the uh, the standard of the Pro Fourteen, and there are good games. You know, there are dud games, of course. Difficult competition to win, you know. Well, look at all the teams that have won it. They're really good. Yeah. Um, they play really good rugby. But, ju- but just to sort of go back to that Carberry point, McFarland uh, talked afterwards about how Dwayne Peel put together a game and how Ulster liked to play. They, they, they liked to play with a lot of zip. He wanted uh, Johnny Cooney to put a scoot around the pitch. And I was thinking to myself, like, who would be the best out half in Ireland? To play that game, Joey Carberry. Oh yeah. Now that hasn't that hasn't passed, and you were looking at a situation where you had two Irish teams playing. The two number tens weren't guys that were in the Six Nations squad. So you go back to Ross Byrne, and you go Byrne scored the try. He kicked all the kicks. Like he was absolutely hobbling up to the tee in to to take his last yeah. kick, having missed his first two. And he nailed it. There was no showbiz about that either. That was right down in front of us. And uh, he was goosed. Like, he couldn't even get back into position to cover. If they'd, if they'd done any sort of long kick, uh, previous, not just, not just when he was hobbling back after his place kick, but previous to that, he was trying to get back into the defensive line because like, he just wasn't able to cover any part of the backfield. You know, and then he's able to you know, look at the sticks and just put those thoughts, put the, oh, I might cramp up or I might just strike it as well as I need to. Just belted over after 72 minutes from the wrong side for him. That was an extremely clutch kick. It was really I, impressive. I thought I thought some of the coverage around the match as well. It was took me by surprise. Um, I, you know, we say people and they. Uh, Shane Horgan was on Virgin. He fully expected Leinster to romp it, and the fact that it didn't, you know, it was off day for Leinster. He didn't expect anything from Ulster. Francis, you know, but like two guys who were like are prominent season. prominent media commentators. I looked at the betting beforehand, and Leinster were five to one on, and I was like, "Well, what's the handicap going to be?" It was fourteen yeah. and a half points. Once they I was, think, the I was thinking to myself, "I was, yeah." I was thinking, oh, I, was thinking I was thinking to myself, "There is no way Leinster are going to put fifteen was, points over." I was fairly iffy, but once the team was announced, looking at that team, going, "Oh, that is this is not going to be any sort of uh, easy game." But it, it was it was it was fifteen point points on the mo- on the afternoon. Of the match, like that, that was the that was the gap that people saw, and I don't think that was a. I don't think there was an anomalous an anomalous performance by Ulster. Uh, Ulster won away in Welford Road. Ulster beat Rassing in in Ravenhill. Uh, Will Addison was missing. You know, it's. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with McFarland there over the remainder of the season and into next season because they're going to beef up their front row. In the wake of um, the loss of Levy, there's a gap going at number seven in the in the Leinster squad. Sean O'Brien obviously is the first cab off the rank, no doubt about that. Who else can you see being called up well, they can't call up another player for the semi-final. The last date is the 14th of March. So the only players that they can pick are the ones already in the European squad. Uh, for the Pro 14, that was Scott Penny, we got a lot more game time. Realistically, 
I think that Max Deegan is going to be a better bet to start at number seven against Toulouse. Toulouse play extremely quickly. They only had 64, 65 rocks in their game against uh, Paris at the weekend. We had 164 against Ulster. It's not going to be a game based on rocking. We're not going to be playing a team who looks to retain the ball. We're looking for a team who wants to play on top of the ground, attack, pass before and out of contact. So Deegan is faster than O'Brien. He's fitter than O'Brien. He's a better line-out option than O'Brien. So I think that we don't need a particular breakdown specialist. What we need is somebody who's fast, fit. Deegan does everything really well. So I'd play him at seven. Like I, I say it every single podcast, that Sean O'Brien shouldn't be playing starting games. And just to clarify, is Penny not in the European squad? Penny's not squad? in the European squad. Right, but Deegan is. Yeah. Um, how concerned would you be about Adam Byrne's defence on the ground and Jordan Larmer's uh, ability to deal with high kicks? Larmer's uh, reading of the ball in the air is tragic. It's useless. Um, he's going to have to play a fullback to get better at fullback, but at the moment he's just not worth playing there. He's such a liability. You just can't do a basic part of the fullback's job. It's like fucking putting mittens on him and asking to catch the ball. I wouldn't have him at fullback at all for for any major match for the rest of the season. Do you think that's his his weakest part of his fullback play? Because I th- I think his habit of getting caught playing pillar or getting caught in the defensive line and staying in the defensive line that. That's a really good point. He doesn't have the attention. He doesn't know what he's he doing. He doesn't have the attention to detail. Like he he, he gave um he gave an interview oh, I think prior to the Six Nations, certainly this season, and he referred to how Stuart Lancaster wanted him to improve his game sense. Uh, wanted him to watch more film. Wanted him to understand more what was going on. And it struck me very much like here's a guy who's an incredible athlete, who's very diligent, and. Hasn't sort of had to learn a, a classical rugby education in that way because because he's had such athletic ability to get away with it. Um, and Leinster made the decision to play him just in the same way that Leinster made the, pleasant, the decision to play Sean O'Brien. So they're obviously seeing something in training that's convinced them to go with it. And as you say, like Larmer has to play more at fullback in order to get better at fullback. But every every time. Every time you see him, not every time you see him play fullback, like he played against France internationally at fullback, and you're reminded of just like how incredibly exciting that he is. But he played another big European match for Leinster, and you're just there thinking, oh, this bloke's positioning. I don't expect him to learn it in a season. No. You know, at all. And I think he's like, people are seeking him out to give him the ball in a way, I mean, that attacking him in a way that they weren't last season. Uh, but it is what it is. Like, he doesn't play fullback well. There was two really small fullbacks playing. I thought Larry did a better job on Saturday at 15. Yeah, you're probably not as criti- looking as critically as No, Larry, probably, though. probably not. No, no. You but know, I thought he did it really well. He got fucking bashed by Jack Cohen for Adam Burns, Troy. He didn't even hold on to him. Didn't even, wasn't even a speed bump. He was like a gnat. So that to me is a Leinster's uh, attack was mediocre because Ulster's line speed was really exceptional. Darren Cave had the best defense performance I've ever seen from him in terms of his reads, his discipline. He crept offside a good few times, but he, he was only penalized it for once. And his tackling was of the highest standard I've ever seen. Yeah. Leinster were playing with Roy O'Loughlin at 12, who's not typically a 12 and isn't a good passer for for a centre. He's he's an average passer. He's not like chainsaw laney or anything like that. But he's not a good passer. So Ross Byrne doesn't really have a break. You know, he made it he ran over Balakoon, but he's not fast. And then we have a twelve who doesn't pass well. So it was laboured getting out to thirteen and it allowed Cave to run up and, and smash uh Ring Rose all the time. Also the twelve, because he doesn't play there, doesn't have enough experience or footballing house to say this is what they're doing what else can I do to counteract that and because he's playing against a guy who physically dominated him in McCluskey he wasn't just going to truck it up in the same way that Robbie Henshaw 
would relish that competition. So when No Read came on, he tried two things. One was to slip a person through the same gap he was going through at a different angle, pass went forward. The second was to grub it through a kick. Those are things that, because Reed is a 12, and because he trusts his footballing skills, neither of them came off. Both of them were good ideas because they added variety rather than this. Let's get it to, to Ringrose. Like, I thought Ringrose would have cave on toast. It didn't happen. But then we kept on fucking doing it for the rest of the game. Were you surprised that he picked a Lachlan ahead of Conor O'Brien? Yeah, no. Lachlan's done well at 12, and he's especially he's defended well. He's become yeah. like the baby Ferg. And when you saw within the first 90 seconds of Stuart McCluskey absolutely bashing Keane Healy out of the way, you, you really, well, sort of, I, th- I thought, you know, thank God Lockie's going to be in there to, to fling himself into contact. That was, that was my reaction when I saw the selection that I thought O'Loughlin had played really well defensively against Munster last season when he came on in the semi mm. and uh, played well against the Scarlets defensively. Yeah. So it made sense to match him up against McCluskey, who's, I'm not sure how many, McCluskey always seems to score for Ulster. Now, he doesn't have as many tries as Sean Cronin, so, you know, he obviously doesn't, but any time that he plays and you see, like, invariably he's involved in an Ulster try. And when you see him in person, he's one of these people who's much bigger than he, he, he seems on television. In television, he seems big. In real life, he looks like, just looks like Hendo out in the back line. I also, I, I thought as, I, it's worth saying about Reader, uh, who that you if love I've him converted. If I've converted in my uh, belief of Ross Byrne, it is nothing like the Damascene moment that I've had with Noel Reed. So I just sort of said, "Geez, like Reed when he came on at the end, he was magnificent." And you were pointing out the mistakes that he did, but. My seats were in the in the five meter line on the south end, and Leinster were attacking the north end at the uh, in the in the closing minutes. Mm. And Reader played one sort of double a double switch that he called up when he marshaled the guys around him, and he'd, he'd gone into ten at this stage because Ross Byrne had hobbled off. He didn't touch the ball for the rest of it, and he just directed play. He he basically stood there behind the rook, kind of like Van Carrion, just waving his arms, telling everybody where to go, and like a quarterback, played down the last three minutes and just ground it down. And I was, I was thinking to myself, are they going to get done for sandbagging? And then I thought to myself, well, Pot's refereeing. And if there's one place you're not going to get penalised yeah. for pick and jam, it's 10 metres from the opposition line. Because that's how teams attack. You, you can't, like if you're doing that around the halfway line, you're getting done. More than likely, particularly if Nigel Owens is refereeing, but more than likely you're going to get done. You can't do that for two or three minutes. But Reed just got Leinster up close enough. And he was looking to see like how Ulster were manning up in defence. And they were manning up very well. They they were maintaining their width. They had good spacing. Um, they, they had both sides. I mean, they they're were, very, very well coached, very well marshaled. Both sides were exhausted, but there were no knock-ons and there was no obvious overlaps presented. But Reed just didn't, he didn't let Luke McGrath make any decisions. And what really impressed me about it was that everyone listened to him. One, he had the willingness to do it, to to demand that of his teammates. Two, and thirdly, that it was Noel Reed. Because if I had any criticism of Noel Reed, and the obvious one is, oh, you know, tackling Noel Reed, and his tackling was actually tackling very was good really when good he came, when on. came on. But if I had any criticism of Noel Reed, it was that in all the seasons in Leinster, with all the opportunities he'd been provided with up to this season, he lacked the authority required of what should have been, you know, like a a full-time pro. Like, he, he wasn't a young kid. He was a pro. And I was looking at him and I was thinking, I mean... I wish we were keeping Reader. That's what I was thinking. I can't, I can't imagine there's that many better backs in Ireland mm-hmm. at the moment. No, certainly not more intelligent backs. Didn't think I would hear myself say that at the outset of the season, but here he's I had a, he's had a, He's had his best season for Leinster. And he's off to Leicester Tigers. Although, hopefully, Leicester Tigers get relegated so he doesn't end up going. Don't see. I, there must be a break clause if, in any contract, that you, you don't have to join a relegated team. It wasn't a good day for two of my favourite backs who I kept on calling for to be picked for Ireland. Jordan Larmer, who you commented on earlier on. John Cooney, who rounded off an otherwise excellent game with a terrible kick to Ooh, miss. Yeah, now I'm going to say something. Ross Byrne missed a sitter as well. In fairness, you could actually say that Ross Byrne missed. But he didn't miss a kick to go sitters. ahead into the dying minutes. I thought Cooney was amazing. 
Well, not amazing, because it didn't amaze me. I thought he was excellent. He really controlled the pace of the game. He was one of those... Andy Dunn talked about it. And, uh, I didn't watch the whole thing. I actually just heard a little snippet of it on Twitter on Off the Ball with Joe Malloy. He talked about how Cooney played almost as a French number nine. Uh, Demi Melee. Correct. <laughs> Dominating not just the pace of the game, but also the decision-making. You know, tactical decision-making. Billy Burns was like... I actually... He was the most forgettable person on the pitch. Out of all, I'm not saying that just because it helps my argument, although it does. But I genuinely was... For a half second, I forgot who was playing number 10 for... Uh, also, I knew it wasn't a certain person. But I was saying, who? Ah, Billy Burns. But Cooney dominated that game. He dominated... Now, Luke Murray has played very little rugby over the last three months. I think this is only his second game back from injury. Well, Cooney held him in the palm of his hand. How do you fit James Lowe back into the Leinster team for the semi-final? Good question. I'll take this one, just like I've taken the last five. James Lowe, if you, if you think where, where, we're, where we're strong and where we're weak, Leinster, in terms of depth, loads of wingers. Adam Byrne, Dave Kearney, Fergus McFadden, Barry Daly, Joe Tomani. Five wingers. Uh, second rows. You've got Devin Toner's coming back. Having starred, I believe, for Lansdowne in an April Fool's <laughs> prank that Johnny Waterson <laughs> fell for. Uh, <laughs> uh, you've got you've got Devin Toner, James Ryan, Mick Carney, who had an excellent outing off the bench, and then Ross Maloney, who's struggling with injury. Lansdowne trying to play him under a fake name, which would be even funnier with <laughs> Ireland's <laughs> six foot ten. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is a uh, Tevin Donor. <laughs> <laughs> So you've got four good second rows, and then you look at scrum half, and you're going, you've got Luke McGrath behind Gibson Park, Hughie O'Sullivan, Nick McCarthy's not even in our um, European squad anymore, and Pat Patterson. So you've got two academy guys. So the obvious, the obvious most important one is the obvious position that you have to reinforce. You, there is only one option. It's 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 at scrum half. It's it's you have to go with Gibson Park and, and Luke McGrath because the others are just not ready to play European rugby. Then at second row you've got good options and at f- winger you've got good options. Fardy's Leinster's best player. Fardy's Leinster's best player, but Leinster were so dull in attack without James Lowe, and I don't mean dull as in oh I'm boring. I mean dull as in blunt. They were dull. Uh, they do. They need low more than they need Fardy. I could play easily with Devon Toner, James Ryan, and Mick Kearney coming off the bench. Mick Kearney, he's not gonna like Scott Fardy it up, but in terms of upping the pace, carrying hard, hitting rocks, making his tackles, he did a super job. And we look so blunt without without low there. Also, people are playing against rush defense against us. You need Adam Burns doesn't come off his wing in big games. He doesn't come into the middle. He does it all the time against your zebras and whatnot and scores tries. But in big games, I think he's too nervous coming off his wing. Dave Carney does, but not frequently enough. Dave does well when he comes off his wing. But if you have lads rushing up outside to hit your outside center, you need to bring your blindside winger back on the inside. Tato. Now he's going to get tackled side on, but that tackle is going to be probably on or past the gain line and it's going to be close to your own forwards. And it's going to be quick. So you need to have low in the team. And Gibson Park loves an old blindside. So and if that's the other way to the... Yeah, exactly. So if you've got James Lowe on that blindside wing, you've got somebody who's alive to the, the, the possibilities. And uh, it, ta- it takes away that rush defence. You cannot... You can try and rush defensive blindside with like two people. It's not the same, you know. So that's what you have to do if lads are running up to take away with great line speed to take away the open side from you. So up the gut, down the blind, or outside and then back inside. And chip over the top cross kick. Yeah. Well, the cross kick I think is the most effective one. I agree. I actually absolutely agree. But a, but a chip over the top is chip if, over if the top you've... runs a risk of getting blocked. Not yeah, it does. Kick, it does. Course, it does. Yeah. Yeah. How does the uh, rush defence argument square with how uh, Stade Toulouse play in defence? 
played a lot of rush defense they in Leinster the in the shit out of us in, in the pool October, match. Yeah. yeah, they were miles offside as well. But everyone, every time you lose, the other team is miles offside. And sometimes you can be magnanimous when you win and admit that they were miles offside. Well, I think it, I thought it was the January match that they played a very hard press. Oh, they hard pressed you. They pressed us hard in in uh, in October, in late October, in that low sun. So we're going for the uh, speedy, rangy back row with Deegan. Deegan. We're going for the heavyweight second row with the Irish lads. We're going for Jamison Gibson Park or Luke McGrath. I'd pick. I'd pick Gibson. I would have picked Gibson Park against Ulster as well. And we're going for uh, get James Lowe into the team for Adam Byrne or for Dave Carney. I think for Adam Byrne. You know, Lowe's Lowe, as I like to call him. Is, uh, he's a left wing, Dave Carney's a left wing, but Dave Carney can play right. Adam Byrne is solely a right wing, and, and as we've selected James Lowe thus far, we, although we have selected him once a fullback, he's almost always a left wing. Mm-hmm. So to me, Dave Carney is really banging form. You know, in practically, if you, you can look at him playing, you go, he's in form. You can look at him statistically and go, yeah, that's right, he is in form. Um, and to me, I, like I know very quickly what team I'd select. Who'd you play fullback? Robert. I thought I thought so. Just yeah. to have it confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Your... No. Yeah. I, even I would agree with that one. Um, um, like we mentioned briefly before, I think there's been far too much made of uh, Stockdale's not grounding the ball. Um, for starters, this is a very tight game. It was a conversion on the wing. It was he was trying to put the ball down, and the reason he was so far off the line was that he was busy handing off someone as he get, as he got to the line. But I mean, I think putting it all on his shoulders is is mildly is is ridiculous because he was the best player on that team. He was the best player in the pitch. He was unreal. I could I couldn't get over couldn't get over how good he was in the air. Oh. I couldn't get over how many defenders there was. There was no threat when he got the ball. And his ability to swerve and to beat guys, uh, it took my breath away. It was it was really quite incredible. I understand the criticism. Like, obviously, high-profile, big match, and you can draw a direct comparison to his contemporary on the other Irish wing, Keith Earls, with how professional Earls he was in finishing off for his second try. You know, the way he switched the ball in the hands, the timing of his dive, mm-hmm. the placing of the ball, and... You know, that experience is arguably hard-earned, hard-won. I mean, that, that's why it's experience. But no one else in Ireland was creating that opportunity for himself. Yeah, I was. it was quite incredible. And like, that, wasn't, that wasn't the only thing from Stockdale. Like, any time Stockdale got the ball, he looked dangerous. Yeah, he's and a you're just thinking to yourself, like, if you had this guy on your team, like, you just, just, give him, just give him the seed. Just get him on the ball as much as possible. He looked absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was noticeable a couple of times on our side of the pitch. He went up in the air against Adam Byrne, who's usually really good in the air, and he came down with the ball twice. They <laughs> Adam both, Byrne they, is good in the air. They both held on to it once. The first time that Adam Byrne went up against, uh, the with Larry, I think it was Larry in the air. He won it handily. Oh yeah, oh he towers over that. That competition between Stockton and Adam Byrne, like it was actually pretty one sided in the first half, but it was like. It was like one of those great, great one-sided boxing matches where there's a clear like, oh, that guy definitely won that round. But the, the actual fight is brilliant. Yeah, they were they were just two huge pace men. They're two specimens, is what they are. <laughs> just like flying into the air and like going for real fair contest. Also, want to give Jordan Larmer a little shout out. He did win one of his own up and unders very nicely. Ah, uh, listen, Larmer's. Uh, I was a bit harsh on him there earlier. Um, you know, he didn't, he, he, there was elements of, of play, as always, in attack, he's a threat. But just as a fullback, just to be pragmatic and dismissive of somebody, is tremendously enjoyable. The cloud didn't like that. <laughs> Referee blows for halftime. In the first quarter final of the weekend, Munster squeezed by uh, Edinburgh in Murrayfield in what I thought was an excellent game and and one that I didn't think was marred by bad refereeing, although that seemed to be a prevailing sentiment, both from uh, pundits on the television, Horgan and Matt Williams, 
uh, on other podcasts and then from Twitter. Um, I thought it was an excellent game. I thought Munster just knew a bit more how to win. Um, the Munster know more how to win than Edinburgh. Like, you know, a, a decently coached senior cup team would know more how to win than Edinburgh. I don't know how Edinburgh can pass up three kickable penalties in 20 minutes at the start of a home semi-final when they're all over Munster. Mm. Like that to me was... I cannot believe Cockrell sent his team out there to do that. And I cannot believe that John Barty decided to do that. Something must... F- like they must have taken LSD once again, particularly with the fact of the the sort of rugby that Edinburgh play. So Edinburgh play pressure rugby, and then decide not to apply any pressure on the scoreboard. No, oh, well said. And I draw the distinction. I go back to what McFarland was saying about he wanted John Cooney to put a scoot on, like he wanted to play a high pace game. If you want to play a high pace game, you can take those kicks into the corner and you can go for tries, even though the obvious way you're going to score is a mall, right? So that, that might sound counterintuitive, but you're going, we're going to ratchet up the pace. We're not necessarily going to play a mall. Like we, we, we believe that our skills, our, our ability to execute, we will get seven points. Now, we might have a set-piece play that we're going to play off the line-out. We might go through the middle, around the front. This is just the line-out. We might maul it. Or we believe that given the opportunity to stretch your defensive line 10, 15 yards out, we will manufacture an ability with just quick ruck ball, with, with, with disrupting your defence, with discombobulate you. Edinburgh are not like that. Edinburgh play a structured, if pretty ponderous game. Painfully slow. I thought that, like, the rucking is good. Um, Darcy, the fullback. Um, Mr. Darcy. Darcy that? Graham. Darcy, Darcy Graham. Graham. He's electric. He was really, really, he was really exciting. But that was it. And like, you know, so... Henry Pergos was the opposite of really Give the ball to, Oh, Henry Pergos was so slow. And Henry Pergos, like, taking ages over those box kicks and then putting it straight out. And you're there thinking to yourself, oh, mate, like, if you're going to be that slow with a box kick, you've got to nail it. Like, if, if you're going to be that slow as a scrum half, you've got to be absolutely on the money. What was the thing beyond that, Andy? I just could I, not understand. I can't get over it. I mean, the only... I remember when John Wells coached England, uh, coached their forwards. Who was that under? Uh, I'm going to say... I can't. Was it Jono? Might have been Jono. Wouldn't have been Andy Robinson. He was a Bath guy. So I think, I think it was John. Anyway, England, like they were just ponderous. And it, it, must have been, it must have been something in the water, Welford Road. It must have been that their sort of way of, of looking at the... But, couldn't I couldn't for the life of me understand. I remember talking about Edinburgh last year when they played the semi in Thomond and they turned up and they just played themselves out. And then they came back into the match in the second half. By that stage, it was too late. And talking about the amount of improvement that Edinburgh had done, how good it was for the league, what a good job Cochrane had done. And then the next thing was going from being a six team or like, you know, a seven on a good mm. day to being an eight or maybe a nine was a big, big jump. That is, well, it's, I, I thought, it's, it's a log scale rather than just an incremental one scale. Mm, I never got logs. The surprising thing about that is that for the team who knew how to win, Munster also went cold for a scrum with a, five, a penalty five metres no. out, subsequently lost the penalty, and then got booted. Listen, Munster... Field. Like, there, was, there, was, there was two teams at it, and there was someone who tweeted us and said, are we reaching peak foolish kick into the corner? And I was, just, I, I think I replied saying, "Are we gonna? Our team's gonna learn by the World Cup. Is when it gets to the World Cup, everyone just be like, yeah, points, points all the time. Well, why are they out of fashion? The team, but they're not. Wales won the Grand Slam by doing it. Wales scored as many tries as the Italians did, and just kicked an absolute boatload of penalties. So, look, you go, you're, you go back to bias and confirmation bias. I am, always have been. I think always will be." You take your points on kicks, and Absolutely. frequently I score team. I see team score tries, and I, I like I find myself doubting. But my belief is so entrenched that I just keep the scoreboard ticking, particularly in those big cup matches. And it, it goes back to even the idea, like when you're nine points down with like five minutes left, just take the points. Like five minutes is quite a long time. You put yourself within six anyway. Mm. You can score a try and win it. 
you can score another one or you can get a drop kick and have like if you even if there's like 30 seconds left they got to kick off to you if you have that ball and you can manufacture yourself field position you could well get another penalty. And particularly with the way the rules are now, where if you get a penalty after the 80, you can kick it into touch, take the line out. You know what I mean? Like, So, for example, as Edinburgh were attacking Ulster in the last play of the game, the last tackle which dislodged the ball, I was like, was that a bit high? You know, it was Arnold, both as one. Yeah, I, was, I, I, I didn't look at it again, but it was like, if they'd gotten that penalty, they were 50 metres out, they could kick to the corner and take the line out because they needed a try. So you know what I'm saying? There's like the laws now allow for you even more time to get to try at the end if you but want to tag on the Mon- points. I mean, Munster had this against Racing last year where they got absolutely bombarded and they were down and they had a kickable penalty and they went to talk. And you're just there going, no, no, just just get closer. Like you've been massacred in this half. Just yeah. get closer. Chip away. Go in at half time with a bit of doubt. And Munster comfortably won that second half. They were the momentum team. I looked at Connacht. Game was over though. The Razzie game. Yeah, but whatever about it. Whatever. It was a long time ago. But they should have. But I looked at another game you could say was over, and it was over once Cardi went off. But at 20 points to three, Connacht should have taken the kick against Sale because Finley Bealham would come on. And it was right in front of the sticks, and you're going, you got to get some sort of reward, and you got to put pressure on Sale. Because, like, Sale are not a mentally strong team. Like, they're not a winning team. You have to put them under pressure to do it. So I know we're talking about all these different matches, but Jesus, take, take your points. I agree with you. And I also. I, the thing that surprised me was how much I enjoyed the Edinburgh Munster game. I just enjoyed watching. I, I was actually, I think that apart from like Pergos really super pissing me off, Edinburgh's pack is a really good pack to watch. I think they're really well coached. They've got a lot of, uh, you know, entertaining players in it with Matt and Hamish Watson. Um, Bartley's a, such a good player to watch play. He's, he's a rugby genius, basically. Um, and then McAnally's another. Like I enjoy watching McAnally play. And and, I enjoy watching but Scannell. My favorite yeah. player of them all was Schumann, who is an he's a great rugby player. He enjoyed every part of that game. He was just bashing people around. He especially enjoyed bashing into Munster South Africans. You could see every time he got the chance to have a shot, like they would just start bashing each other. And he's such a lump of a man with his stupid wrestler's hair. But he's really good at rugby. He's quick. He's got good hands. He's got a great engine. He was on the pitch like after 74 minutes, giving away a penalty. <laughs> you know? I was so impressed by him, and he's a, he's obviously an absolute technician as a scrummager. But there's a guy who can play at the highest level. He's like Castro Giovanni used to be like. Complete with the hair as well. Exactly. Really similar to him. He's such a physical specimen, but he can play. This drum Castro before he was shit. For the last like four years of his career. Yeah, and I I like I enjoy watching Scannell in particular and Rory. Again, for the for the same reason of having covered him as like one of those five to watch and yeah. having seen the way his career's developed and having seen like I, I really like him because when I saw him play for the under twenties, I was thinking to myself, he's got great basics. He doesn't get panicked. He can pass off both hands, mm. he can kick off both feet, like okay, not like as as well off both feet, but he can do it. Mm. Uh, and he runs straight. He's a good rugby player. He's he's not gonna burn it up, but he he can play rugby. And He's he's having a really good career with Munster, and it's great to see because he played he played loads for Dolphin. Like he wasn't a heralded guy coming up mm-hmm. as well. You know, like they weren't sort of talking about him. He was playing well for the A team, and he's playing it he's playing it out half. But like people weren't sort of saying it until it happened. He almost got in the first team by accident because Torrey got injured. Uh, and he's he plays he's loads main, of games. He's a mainstay there. Yeah, he's playing. It's yeah. Talk, get on to the real talking point. I was about to hand out my uh, unofficial Twitter Man of the Match award to Schumann for orchestrating things so nicely. Boom. Um, until he gave away a penalty for a retaliatory uh, hardening of his shoulder in the path of a man who was dangerously walking towards a ball after the whistle had gone. <laughs> he was a judge to have juggled the ball as he drove through. Um I mean, if you're going to defend Ty Burns' uh, Hollywood sell, I guess you would, at the same time, obviously defend Neil Back tipping the ball into the scrum in the dying minutes of a final. That would seem logical, would it not? Would it not? 
Tyke Byrne like took a massive Hollywood and then pretended he was injured. You know, it's what he did. I don't think we want to see loads and loads of diving in the game. So don't fucking do it. He deserves to be slagged for it. You know, he knows that like he like there's there's a like he'll know in the in the back of his head, Jesus, I basically won us that game by taking a massive Hollywood. I'll do it again. But you see, with the beauty of the teleref, they could have just looked at that and said, That's not actually that serious. And I think he's making the most of it, especially that staying on the ground with the physios. Whatever about getting knocked out of your stride and falling over theatrically, like I I I accept that. You know, in the abstract, it can happen. If you're running and you get clipped, you can go down like a bag. But like, oh, saying that, pretending that you're hurting nine on the ground, it's fucking disgraceful. It, it is a slippery slope because, you know, Nigel Owens has this, you know, this isn't football famous catchphrase. And you obviously look at guys diving in football and it's, it's, it's part and parcel of football. I'm just going to inject here. It's always been part of fo- football. Yeah. Rascalry and scandalry, neither of which are words. They have always been part of football, and I won't have them removed. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> but but I also I also think that, like, Andy Hayden played for the All Blacks, like, 40 years ago. Disgraced himself. And he's still known, like, I think a lot of people would still, and Andy Hayden has done a lot of stuff in his life, but he would still be associated with diving out of a line in Cardiff in order to, in to win a penalty that the All Blacks subsequently kicked, they took their points and beat the Welsh. Um, like, 40 years ago. Um, Tigburn, I, I I just think Rugby Karma will fucking bite him on the ass for doing that. I I don't want Rugby Karma to bite I him I just think much. it will. I just think so. He'll, and people will be like, something... Some fucking crap decision we're giving against Ireland in, in the World Cup, and someone will be like, "Jesus, I hope that doesn't happen." That's what I think. That's how I think the the rupee gods will pay him back. Anyway, um, what a nudge by Tyler Blandow, and then what a conversion. Blandow was great when he came on. He was absolutely like Blandow. Blandow was Munster's player or Munster's player of the season two years ago. Rasmus's last full season. Um, he's a super player when he's fit. You know, we uh, they Munster didn't really have much ball when Carberry was on. Uh, like they were pretty, pretty iffy. Like they weren't really in the first half. Keith Harris obviously took his try well, so I'm not gonna. I, I don't think it's fair to compare to uh, to compare the performance of of playing that against Carberry because Carberry really didn't get that much ball. But playing that was very good when he came on. And he also did a couple of really brave things. Just straight after he came on, he competed uh, as a jackal at a breakdown. And for a guy, he got two, you know, fairly heavy hits. And for a guy with his, he's had two severe neck injuries. Uh, like that, that's really brave. You know, just that basic thing. Like I'm going to put myself in harm's way again as an out half in something I don't really need to do. No one would give out to me if I step back and. Tr- said I was trying to win a penalty or whatever for them going over the top. So I just like Blaindell. I think he's I think he's a really hard worker. He's been very unfortunate and he's talented. He hasn't had everything go his way. Does Joey Carby then, if Blaindell has 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 offered so much, do you think Joey Carby should start every match at ten for Munster? Uh no, I think he I think he doesn't think uh that a season is a long, long time. Stuff, stuff changes an awful lot. Like at the beginning of the season, you can you can completely think one thing, and then by the end of the season, the world is a different place, and it it really is. And it just it like it happens slow, like it evolves. I'm saying it's quick and then it's slow. Like it, it's match slowly then all match. at once. Slowly then all at once. It happens match by match. You you see these guys play. Uh, and you think, ah, it's just the Pro 14. Ah, it's the Pro 14 during the November Internationals. Ah, it's during the Six Nations. Like, all these guys are away. And then at the end of the season, Jordy Murphy is winning the double and lifting up the cup. And yeah, kind or of Conor going, Murray's oh. going to the World Cup in 2011. Yeah. You know, it happens quickly. You know, it's it's obvious. It's obvious once everybody sees it. But the thing is, like, it's 
it's been happening in front of you. It's like we're talking about Max Deegan, like, you know, who 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 are Lens gonna pick at number seven? Like, is it's there's some conundrum and you go like Max Deegan's played seventeen matches for Leinster. Yeah. If he goes and plays really, really well at number seven, it's not that big a surprise. He's a really, really good player and he's played pretty much all his rugby this season at number seven. Like it's it's not a shocker. Yeah. And it makes sense in a horse's course section. Oh, you'd have to drop Sean O'Brien. Yeah, Sean O'Brien hasn't been playing very well and is leaving next year anyway. So I just I think at the at the business end of the season when it's you need guys who are in form that uh, if Blaendal is in really good form, it, it's so hard not to pick. It's so, it's so hard to pick anybody who's not in really good form. Like how long do you keep going back to the well? Now this is the like this is the question for Ireland. Well, what about Joey's form from the boot as well? Twenty two kicks in a row. Oh, his his, his kicks. Yeah, look, excellent. I mean, look. Carberry, the, the difference is Carberry's not playing terribly at all. Like, Carberry's hasn't played that much for a Munster because he's been injured and he's been away with international duty. But if playing Dallas back, you just ask yourself, and, and playing really well, you do ask yourself the question. Because, like, Carberry's going to be injured for a few weeks. Playing Dallas goes and plays really well. How can you go and drop him? Now, he might be dropped, but it's, it's a hard question. Mm. It's a hard answer, rather than an easy enough question. You know, and the other thing is, like, you look at Stander's performance compared to Bota. CJ Stander, don't have to say any more about our admiration for his, uh, his massive competitive spirit and basically just his grit in his heart. But uh, that guy did not get an awful lot of traction against Edinburgh at all. And you're you saying know? that Arna Bota did, didn't he? Like, Arna Bota got loads of tackles, better. loads of rips, carried, just tackled. way more energetic. Just look more dynamic, quicker, faster, more energetic, more powerful. CJ Standard looked like, as we have often referred to him, more so this time last year, as Ireland's third prop. Someone needs to stop him. Saint-André going in like a wildcat. Let's talk briefly about the unbelievably excellent Racing versus no. Stade Toulouseon game. Uh, I would like to start with the refereeing of the uh, sending off fence. I thought it was really well handled. I didn't want to see a red card in a game of that magnitude, especially after 20 minutes or so. Um, but shoulder to the throat, that's a red card. If you don't start red card, then people aren't going to stop doing it. Yeah. thought he handled it really well. thought he spoke through it really well. I thought he then gave a load of penalties to Toulouse, which made the match yes. better. <laughs> um, in fact, like there's, there's, there's always penalties to find. He found them. Um, and then I thought Toulouse played some of the most attractive and astounding rugby. Um, that back, back, out the back of the hand pass. Oh, it's one of the best passes I've ever seen in my it entire life. It reminded me of myself. <laughs> um, yeah, take that out, edit that out. And edit that what a, a lot going to be left on the cutting room floor. Of. I, I mean, is there, is there, what can you learn from a game where it's 14 versus 15 and played in a supermarket? <laughs> that it can be really entertaining I suppose it's the first thing you learn the clash we're on to something yeah um, I suppose if if you can keep the ball alive and that your players are younger and fitter like Rog talked about this when he was coaching wrestling against Munster that Munster players were literally just younger than the, their wrestling counterparts and it had a big impact on how fit they were so that Toulouse pack is, or that Toulouse team is, is I would suggest you know, a bit younger than the racing team. Toulouse had very few... They played with an awful lot of continuity passing before and out of the tackle rather than going to deck. And I think that's a way that you can keep players involved so they get a second touch in the same movement, even a third touch sometimes, uh, rather than exerting themselves by having to wrestle people off things. It's literally just running around. And Toulouse... Like like Dan McFarlane's Ulster, more so than Dan McFarlane's Ulster, know what they're trying to do that with when they play with width, that it isn't just a question of like they throw like big skip passes or they throw Hail Marys. They move the point of attack out wide and that fellas know how to pick up a line two or three passes out. Like the, Toulouse are quite comfortable with moving the ball two or three passes and then putting a strike runner in, whereas a lot of teams want to do just one out and it isn't really a strike it's just a fella trucking it up and it's quite predictable but Toulouse don't have that in as in in as much as Munster that 
in a tight match between Munster and Edinburgh, even in playing in Murrayfield, when, the longer it remains close, the more you think Munster are going to win this. Oh, yeah. Because it's in their DNA. And that's that's a cliched thing. That's terribly cliched. But there's, 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 a, there's an expectation in Munster that they're going to win it. And it comes down to, I guess, not making mistakes to a, to a large degree, but just having that belief that they're going to be, that they're going to win it. And there's a belief in Toulouse. What, like, could Montpellier have put that performance together with the same players? No. no. But Toulouse can. Claremont probably could have rassinged it and lost it against 14 men. Rassing, we were talking about fitness there earlier. Like, and Rassing, when you look at their, like, they obviously have, you know, I'm not saying that their players aren't, you know, all in good shape, but it was an open game. And there was, like, Vermi Vakatawa, Teddy Thomas, Zeno. Juan Imhoff were all over, up and down the pitch. <laughs> Zeba wasn't able to keep up with any of his teammates. <laughs> like, I was really surprised. Uh, I thought we, we we joked about it like last year. Thought he was going to fancy the cross on the guy. Is, it's beginning to like affect his ability to edit. Like, that was the sort of game he would have thrived in for Munster. You know, support runner to a line break. Jesus, like he was nowhere. Also, I I felt Teddy Thomas kick for the the first try that Toulouse scored when it was 15 men each which like it was so bad no left foot whatsoever so he kicked across his body with his right foot just plonked it up in the air to like Cheslin Colby in 30 yards of space who then got death uh, sentences who then like it was it was terrible and it set up a, a broken play situation and like I don't know. I just think that's it was sort of inexcusably bad. Yeah, like, but but everyone's kind of like, oh well, Teddy Thomas, he's he's a bit of a joker, you know. Yeah, he's just, he does stupid shit as well. Racing is a team full of flutes. So if Racing won anything with that team, no. That, you know the thing that I, I think about Racing is like, it's, you know, it's it's, it's, it's oh, the devil may care stuff. It's a lot of smiling while you're losing. But the cappuccino cowboys and frothy form at the moment. Their second try. 